at the end of the at the end of the service, if you have the physical card, we're going to pass some baskets down. You can put it in the basket along with uh, any physical offering you might have. And uh, but if you have the app, you can just go ahead and hit send, and it'll get right where it needs to get to. So let me take a moment and say hello to all the all the uh, the live stream worshipers who are with us today via the live stream on YouTube and on Facebook. We're so glad that you are with us today. I am starting a new series. I'm starting the book of Daniel, uh, learning to live as exiles. So my, my kind of modus operandi is, is that every, um, usually starting in like late May or June, uh, I do, for about two months, I do a, a verse-by-verse study through a book of the Bible. Uh, I, I normally preach topically, you know, what's a, a certain topic, what does the Bible have to say about it? But it's, I think it's really good for us to spend some time preaching what's called, ex, you know, learning the Bible like expositionally, kind of verse by verse. And so if you remember last year, we did it, uh, we did the book of James, I think it was. And, uh, and so this year, we're going we're gonna to do the book of Daniel. The next two months, we're going to do a deep dive into Daniel. I, I used to, I, in the past, I would take my vacation usually in July with the regional conference that we're hosting and some other things. I'm going to do it in August. So I'm going to be, you know, probably in the pulpit most Sundays uh, between now and the end of July. And we're just going to, we're going to kind of get through this. And so let me explain why, you know, the subtitle of this, of this series is learning to live as exiles. And let me, let me just explain why I think that's important and why I think uh, Daniel can, can help us understand that. Um, The book of Daniel is the story of four friends who were born in the country of uh, Judah, the, the southern tribe, the southern kingdom of Israel. They were born about 2,600 years ago. And so in 605 B.C., uh, Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, they had actually three successive invasions over a 20-year period into Judah. And it was, the, it was the fall of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had fallen. The Assyrians had conquered them before that. And now it was, it was Judah's turn, the southern kingdom. Uh, and so, so the Babylonians came in. They knocked down the walls. Uh, they, they raided and destroyed Solomon's temple. Remember when, you know, Solomon's temple was such a big deal and the glory of God filled the temple? Well, now it was, it was destroyed. And, and to make matters worse, they went into like the Holy of Holies and they took the sacred objects and brought them back and put them in the temples of their Babylonian gods to basically say, our gods are stronger than your God. And, uh, and then something else that they did is they took all the, you know, the best and brightest kids... Uh, in, in all of Israel, they took them to Babylon and they were going to kind of retrain them and, and have them. That's what they would do when they conquered, when the Babylonians conquered a land. They would, they would take the best and brightest and like train them to serve their kingdom, to serve their king. And so, so Daniel and his three friends, you would probably know them or maybe have heard of them with their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they're carried off to live in Babylon. They were in exile. They were strangers in a strange land. And so Babylon was a land that was filled with idolatry. It was a land that was filled with violence. It was a land that was filled with sexual practices and norms which were counter to Jewish belief and practice. The morals of the Babylonians were completely opposed to the morals of the the Jews. And and most importantly, the, the Babylonians, they didn't know Yahweh. They didn't, they didn't care about Yahweh. They didn't worship Yahweh. And so, so Daniel and his three friends, they must have felt very out of place. They were in a very, very difficult situation. And see, here's the reality. 
the people of God, like the like real like people of God who are really following Jesus and trying to live according to his teachings in the Bible, we should always feel out of place, whatever culture, wherever we find ourselves living, whether it's, you know, Babylon or whether it's, it's first century Rome or 12th century France or 20th century China or 21st century United States. We should always feel a little bit out of place because what the Bible says is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of another country. You are a citizen of another kingdom. It says this in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you really are centering your life on Jesus and like following Him and being His disciple, you're going to feel a little bit out of place. You're going to feel like you're kind of in exile, that you don't totally fit. There are going to be times at your workplace where you feel like, I don't totally fit. Like everyone's saying it's okay to cut this corner or do that, and I just, I don't think I can do that. Or, or you might feel that you don't neatly fit into a political party, or, or you're at your school or uni- university. You don't feel like you fit. In your friend's group, there are times that they want to do things. You're like, I don't want to do that. This has been normal of the people of God for centuries. But sometimes culture shifts so fast And culture becomes so aggressive that the differences between the way Christians approach life and the way citizens of this world approach life, it's so drastic that navigating it can feel really jarring. And so I have four kids. Uh, My oldest, my son, is 28. And then I have a soon-to-be 26-year-old daughter and then 22-year-old twin daughters. And so the experience, I, I just became aware of how quickly our culture was changing because when my, when my twin daughters went to high school six years after their, after their brother, it was a totally different experience. They all went to public high school. But it was like Andy graduated, I think, in 2012. They graduated in 2018. And it was a, it was a totally different experience. You could see like, how quickly, how fast the culture had changed. And so I think we're living in a moment like this. I think we're, we're living in a moment right now where, where the, the reality, let me just say this, we're going to talk about this, but, but biblical Christians, right, people who follow Jesus and try to let Jesus' teaching in the Bible inform how they live their life, we're kind of a little bit on the outs, right? There's, there's an aggressiveness that our culture has. Now you can, whether you call it like woke or cancel culture or whatever it is, there's this thing that people are trying to name that it's like, if you don't kind of toe the line or if you believe something that kind of goes against what the culture says, yeah, we're, not, we're really not going to abide that. That's not going to work out so well for you. And, and I read this very interesting survey that said 62% of Americans, this, was, this went across party lines, it was a majority of Democrats, a majority of Republicans, 62% of Americans say that they have beliefs that they don't share because they're afraid that if they share it, what they actually believe, there's going to be a backlash. That they're going to, you know, that they could kind of, it could cost them social equity or, you know, maybe they won't get invited to the party or, or maybe it actually could cost them their scholarship. It could cost them, you know, their job or their position. And, and the reality is that a lot of what Christians believe, followers of Jesus believe right now in this moment as culture is shifting so far and so fast are kind of at odds with what the culture has to say. Let me give you an example of it, right? Studies have indicated, it's been kind of empirically proven that if you in the universities, because things kind of always start in the universities and then they kind of trickle down into the streets over the course of like 10 to 20 years, 30 years, and that's kind of where we're at now. But in the universities, that, that if you have someone who's a Christian 
who's a follower of Jesus, believes the Bible, and, and you take, you know, their credentials, you know, they know uh, they're, they're, where they were educated, their grades, their experience, and all of that, and you put them up against someone who has the same credentials, uh, maybe even lesser credentials, but that person claims to be an atheist, the atheist is going to get the job every time. That's actually been studied and kind of proven in the university system, that there's kind of this, this bias against, against Christians if someone is a Christian, even though 30% of Americans, like currently 30% of Americans identify as evangelical Christians. Now, that has nothing to do with politics. That has to do with the evangel, the gospel. It means 30% of, of, of Americans believe, people living in the U.S., that, um, that you know, Jesus came and that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming back again, that we need to be born again by the Spirit of God, that, like Orthodox Christian beliefs. Uh, and, and as far as, you know, different, different, different races, it's 29% of whites who identify as evangelicals 40, or have evangelical beliefs, 44% of African Americans, and 30% of Latinos. So that's a lot of America, but what's really, really striking, in the United States... There are only three professors of anthropology who have evangelical beliefs at research universities in the United States. I'm not saying 3% of, of anthropologists. No, no, there's three. It's like Joe, Mary, and like Sue. Like, I don't know who they are. But there's only three at research universities all over the United States. Kind of the similar statistics in English departments, social science departments. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to be kind of relegated, especially at the university, as like an oddity in, in, in many university classrooms. And certainly, you know, odds are you're not going to be on a university faculty. Because there is this, this, this difference, there's this tension between what a follower of Jesus believes and where the culture is going. Now, here's the thing about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that I want us to explore over the next two months. What Daniel, Shadrach, what, what these guys did, which is so amazing is they didn't say, okay, we're living in this exile. We're living like everything's stacked against us. Everything's so hard. So we're going to hunker down and we're just going to kind of hold on to our personal piety and we're going to keep our head down and we're, gonna, we're not going to get in trouble. That's not what they did. They didn't, they didn't do that. They, what they did is they said, we're not going to compromise. We're going to serve God, but we're going we're gonna to fully engage and we're going to bless the king and we're going we're gonna to do what we can to glorify God. And God used them in amazing ways. We're going to see ways that God really used them and how they went about doing it. Um, and so let's read. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, the, the, the text that we're going to look at today is verses 1 to 14. So I'm going to read through the whole thing, kind of comment on it. And then there's like one big thing that I want us to take away from this today as we get started. So it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, put them in the treasures of the house of his God. Really painful, really hard for all the, all the Jews that that happened. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, so just like me, that was too much, guys. I mean, I, like a chuckle, but you guys laughed really hard. There were some belly laughs that went on there. Now I'm hurt. Now I've hurt. You know, <laughs> just kidding. Young, with any phys without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitudes for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were enter into the king's service. So, so Daniel and his three friends, they're in the honors program. They're like going to be trained and they got special food and, and they're being groomed and prepared to be advisors to the king. And so it says, verse 6, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So here's the problem, like right, right from the jump, right? So Daniel's there, and now he's get, being served this food. But in the law, there were pretty strict dietary rules. And so, so Daniel couldn't eat this food. And the reality is, you know, he couldn't keep the law and eat the food that was being put in front of him. But also, probably the meat was sacrificed to idols. And for a Jew at that time, it was absolutely anathema to eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol. So Daniel is in, he's, he's got this, you know, this conundrum. He's got this difficulty right from the beginning here. But the official told, it says, verse 9, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Like, like your, your diet like, comes from the king. Uh, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Like literally, if you show up like emaciated, I'm a dead man. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over them, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. You might have heard of the Daniel fast. This is where you get the Daniel fast. Uh, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and, they, and tested them for 10 days. And so, so basically, Daniel says, listen, I get it. I don't want to put you in a tough spot. You're a good guy. But here's the deal. Like, let, let's, let's go 10 days. Like, we'll go on our own little special diet, and then let's see how we're doing. And if we're not doing well, we'll, we'll eat the food you put out. But I think we'll be okay. And, and so I want to talk about something specific. Like, there were, actually, when I was putting this together, there were a number of different ways that I could go in. And I want to, you know, actually, the one point that I want to make initially was one of three points. But then I just kind of felt like God really highlighting this and it's kind of, I guess, I think getting the sense that God wanted me to go a little bit deep into this, into this one kind of main point, kind of as a foundation for where we're going to go over the next two months. And it's this. When you're living in exile, when you're living in Babylon, especially when it's like a jarring, quick, you know, kind of a change like, like Daniel and his friends saw when they were like lifted out of Jerusalem and put into Babylon, or, or frankly, in some ways, like what we've been experiencing, I would say, over the last 20 years, when, when, when culture is changing, Babylon will try to rename you. Babylon, in the midst of all the change, Babylon will try to rename you. And so Daniel 1.7 says this, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, to Azariah Bednego. Now, now, you know that for Jewish people, they thought about names differently than we do. Like for us, names, it's like, oh, I like that name, and my grandfather was named this, or whatever it is. But for them, their names were tied to their purpose. Their names were tied to who they were. Their names said something really significant about them. And so, you know, I say this all the time because it's so important, right? 
You probably, maybe you're sick of me saying this, but I'm going to keep saying it because I think it matters so much. You were made on purpose for a purpose, right? You have a, you have a destiny. There, God is calling you to things. And, and the life that he has for you, the abundant life that he wants you to walk out, is connected to you knowing your identity. For you knowing your identity, discovering your identity, being sure of your identity, being sure of who you are in him. Right, we say all the time here that the journey we're going to go on is that we can know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, make a difference. Well, finding freedom, so much of finding freedom. By the way, we're starting the last, the last go-round of the growth track today, right after this service, and we'll shut down for the summer, start back up in September. So if you haven't done the growth track, join us right after this service. It'll be about 45 minutes. We'd love to have you. But, but anyway, you need to be sure of your identity. You need to know who you are. And the way that you find freedom is that you begin to understand your identity. You begin to understand more and more who God has made you, what you're called to be. And I believe that the first thing that the devil's going to do, what the devil will try to do, especially in a culture that's drifting away from truth, is try to rename you. This culture will will come after your God-given identity. God will give you a name. He will declare something to be true over you. And the first thing the devil will say is exactly the same thing he said to Adam and Eve in the very first temptation. Did God really say? Did God really say? That initial lie that, that, Adam, that through Adam and Eve has been the devil's go-to ever since. Did God really say? And we all experience this in lots of ways. We all go through, listen, like normal identity stuff. How do you view yourself? How do you view God? You know, the devil will try to give you a different purpose, try to get you on a different road, different values. He'll allow some of you, listen, you've had people in your life, like coming against your God-given identity, your God-given calling. They didn't mean to. They didn't know. But they, they said things over you all your life. Maybe your parents, maybe kids on the playground, maybe your ex-husband or whatever, but just like would say things and, and they, whatever, they thought they were being playful or they were trying to be mean or whatever it is. But what they don't realize is they were part of the devil's scheme to rename you, to, to take away that identity that God has given you. This is something, something that Satan has done from the very beginning. He goes after our identity and it's the first thing that happened to these, to these four young men. But let me just say this. And I really thought about how I would say this and if I would say this, and I felt like I need to say this. These days, I see the enemy going even deeper. I see the enemy kind of even upping his game a little bit in this whole thing of trying to rename us. In Mark chapter 10, 6, Jesus said this. However, Jesus said this. He said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And so the Bible has been like very, very clear from like Genesis through Jesus that, that God has created two genders, that he's created male and he's created female, and that, and that he's given you a gender, right? In the, like Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them, made them male and female. And, and I, I think you have the gender that God wants you to have. It's part of the name that he's given you. And, and the renaming of culture that's going on is, is I think it's, it's, getting, it's getting even deeper, it's going even to like, you know, down into the foundations, rejecting not only the name and identity that God has given someone, but, but the, the gender that God has given them. And we just kind of see this, see this on the increase. And, and there was, I, I, I read about this recent study in, in, in Pittsburgh where they studied, they went across 12 different high schools, just like last year in Pittsburgh, and one out of 10 
teenagers, you know, in high school said that they were either, you know, transgendered or non-binary or gender fluid. This is, this is something that's happening more and more. And let me just say, if you're here and you identify as trans or non-binary or gender fluid, I just, I just want to just be really clear. And just trying to kind of name, I think, some of the things that are going on in culture. I just want to be really clear. You are welcome here. We love you. you are, we are so glad that you're here. And, and, and the thing of it is, for all of us, what we're all trying to do is we're all trying to figure out our identity. We're all trying to get close to Jesus and, and just want all of us to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can so that together we can understand who he's made us to be and the name that he's given us. And just want to be really, really clear about that. But I think it's important at this time, I think it's important that we, that we just kind of name some things and say, hey, here, here's, here's what the Word of God says, here's what Jesus said, and here's something that doesn't seem to line up with, with where the culture is going. And so let's look at some of these names. All right, so we got Daniel first. I'm going to walk through these four names. You got Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. And so what that means, his Jewish name is God is my judge. God is my focus. I'm focused on God. I'm centered on God. God is the center of my life. I'm living for God. God defines my life. But then his name is changed to Belteshazzar. And Belteshazzar means protect the king. And so there's this really shuttle focus. You know, Daniel is I'm focused on God. Belteshazzar is I'm focused on people. Right? I'm going to protect the king. You know, Daniel is about your vertical, your relationship with God. Belteshazzar is about your relationship with other people. And so I think the lie there, the challenge is make man your focus, not God. Don't listen to God. Listen to the people around you. Don't let God define you. Let the people around you define you. Have a horizontal focus, not a vertical one. Whose approval are you after? God's or the culture? Who are you trying to impress? God or the culture? Who do you focus on? The second name is this. It's Hananiah. And it means Yahweh is gracious. It means God is gracious. God is loving. God can be trusted. Right? It's just like, it was like, it's actually this kind of intimate, intimate relationship, intimate connection of saying, God, you are so good. And I know that I can trust you. And I know that you're for me. And I know that my life is in your hands. And I'm just going to rest in that. But then his name is changed from Hananiah to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. Or actually, it's I am fearful of Aku, who's the Babylonian moon god. And that lie that culture gives us is that, that God isn't really for you. See, I think there's so many, a lie that I see so prevalent in our culture right now is people saying like, okay, if I'm a Christian, If I follow Jesus, my life is going to get really small. I'm going to live a really narrow life, and I'm not going to get to do fun stuff, and my life's just going to be small. I'm going to be in a corner. But then if I, if I embrace the culture, if I follow the culture, everything's going to open up for me. It's going to be a wide expense. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And so then we're like, I'm going to go down. I'm going to follow culture. And so then you start following down the road of culture, and you think, this is going to make me happy. This is going to give me value. This is where I'm going to get my identity. This is going to be great. But then culture slaps you in the face. And then you're like, all right, let me go down another road. This is going to make me happy. This is going to give me what I want. This is what I'm looking for. Then culture slaps you in the face again. And all the while you have Jesus, you have, you have God, you have Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious, standing there saying, come to me. If you're weary and you're heavy laden and you have burdens, come to me and I will give you, I will take your burdens. I'll give you my yoke and I, you know, easy, I'm easy, I'm gentle, I'm humble 
of heart. Or we have Jesus who says, the thief, the thief, the devil, culture, Babylon, comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. See, that's what this culture does. It robs, it kills, it's destroyed. That's what Babylons all through the centuries have done. They rob, they kill, they didn't destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full and have abundant life. And I want to tell you, Jesus, when he, he is not a thief, he is not trying to take something from you. This culture, Babylon, wants to destroy you. Jesus wants to give you life. And so, and so that's it. Let me give you the third, the third name. It is... Um, it's Mishael. Mishael. And I love this. The Hebrew name is Mishael, and it means who is what God is. Who is what God is? And so really, it's, a, it's almost like a worship thing. It's like, God, you are amazing. God, you are so awesome. God, I'm so caught up in you. I'm amazed by you. I worship you. I think about you as much as I can. And then his name is changed to Meshach. And Meshach means lowly guest of the king. Which, and actually, there's like this negative connotation to it. It's like, be, be aware of your despised, contemptible, humiliated position. Right? It's, you're not, you're not special. You're not valuable. You don't matter. And let me just say this. You know what? I say this as a father. I say this as a pastor. I say this as just, just seeing what I see. I'm actually, I worry about young people these days. And I don't want to be like that, you know, hey, kid, get off my lawn like I'm the old guy. But there's, there's stuff that's going on. See, see, people want to believe, like we've kind of given this double message. You're told, like young people, you know, they're told, you know, Gen Z or whatever you want to say, you're special. And yes, you are special. But then what you're taught, the philosophy that you're given, the worldview that we teach kids doesn't support the claim that they're special. See, we teach that there's no God. And that you, you know, we don't, like, we don't, I don't teach that, but the culture teaches that there's no God and you live in a personal universe, right? We talk about you're made on purpose for a purpose, but actually if you follow that like materialistic mindset, you're not made on purpose for a purpose. You're an accident. You know, Dr. Ali Benazir, he calculated the odds that a person would exist. Like, what are the odds that you would exist? And he did a deep dive into it. Like, what are the odds that your parents met and that the right sperm hit the egg and here you are at the right time and then that their parents met and that their parents and their parents and go back and back and back. The odds that you would exist are 1 in 10 to the 2,685,000 power. In other words, that's, that's 1 in 10... Spam calls in the middle of my sermon. One in 10 followed by 2,685,000 zeros. So in other words, what this guy discovered is the odds of you being alive are basically zero. And so, and so you're kind of, you're told that you're special, but there's, no, there's nothing to believe to really support that. Then you find yourself living in this, in this impersonal universe. There's no God who loves you. There's no one who sees you. There's no one who's for you. There's no purpose and eventually you're going to die and that's it. Like once you die, that's the end of your existence. You get 70 years, you get 80 years, then lights out, then, then that's it. You're just kind of worm food. But then to make matters worse, the universe is eventually going to burn up. And so there'll be, there'll be nothing left in the universe. There'll be no one to remember you. Everything will be gone. You know, nothing really matters. And so then you take this materialistic philosophy and you combine it with looking at social media 12 hours a day, comparing yourself to the unrealistic images and curated lives that you see there. Then you rip out every identity marker that's helped human beings figure out their place in the world for thousands of years. There's no wonder 
That anxiety and depression and suicide and nihilistic violence is what it is. We, all been, we were horrified by the shootings in Buffalo and Avalde, Texas over the last few weeks. Both of those shooters were 18 years old. Like, what, like what's going on? What's going on in our culture where an 18-year-old should be saying, like, hey, the world is in front of me, and what am I going to do, and, and what are the plans, and what does God have for me? But instead, we, we get this. I think that in so many ways, listen, I, I think that in our culture right now, that we have, we have sown the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind, that there are very real consequences to letting the, 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 the devil and culture rename you. And I believe that we're all paying the price, but especially our young people are paying the price. And listen, I just want to say this as, as clearly as I possibly can. Who is what God is? See, God is amazing. God is awesome. God holds everything together. And I just want to say, God loves you and God is for you. You are, you are the apple of his eye. You dwell between his shoulders. He, he, your life has meaning. Your life has significance because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created you from before the foundations of this world. Why do you exist? You're, it's not one in one gajillion to the whatever power. You exist because God dreamed you up in his heart. And he said, this, I want this person alive. I want these gifts and these abilities and these purposes and these experiences. And I want this not only for 70 to 80 years on earth, but to be with me for all of eternity, forever and ever. And amen. And I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to shed my blood so that you can be with me forever and ever and ever. So that what you do in this life matters and will echo all through eternity. You will rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Do not let culture rename you. Don't let it rename you. Get caught up in, well, you know, TikTok saying this and this and the other thing. Listen, if you let culture rename you, you will be adrift on a sea of pointlessness and aimlessness and nihilism. But if you let your name be God is awesome, you will build your life on a foundation of meaning and purpose and hope that this world simply can't offer you. Like the hope, you know, I always like to say hope is our superpower. It's because there's no, there's no other philosophy, there's no other lifestyle, there's no other anything that will give you the hope and the meaning and the purpose that centering your life on Jesus Christ will give you. And I think we're just, you know what we're just seeing, we're seeing as our culture kind of drifts away from that, we're just, we're just seeing more and more hopelessness kind of being on the rise. And then the last one is this, it's Azariah, and it means Yahweh has helped me. Close term, intimate term, endearing term. Uh, his name was, I don't have time to go into this one, I, I kind of sat on that one for a minute. But then the other name is Abednego, the, the, the Babylonian name, which means servant or slave. And so when you let culture rename you, you go from being a son to a slave. You go from being someone who's radically loved to someone who's trying to eke out an existence, just trying to get the scraps that fall off of the table. And listen, let me just say this. When, when culture shifts, when culture shifts, you know, more than ever, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. And I'll, I'll say this. I think when, especially when culture is shifting, never a more important time for you to be part of a, of a life-giving church. 
whether it's this church, whether it's another church, but a church where the gospel is preached, where we can come together, we can worship God, and we can declare His praises, and we can learn the Bible, and we can love each other, and we can support each other, and we can serve the community together, and together we can do great things that will echo on for all of eternity. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're someone who's, who's been marginally connected to the church, I want to encourage you to kind of roll up your sleeves and say, you know what, I need to know who I am. I need to know my identity. I need to walk it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, together with the people of God, do great things for Him. And then the final point is this. I'll just make this really quick. Daniel 1, 18 to 20. To, to just kind of wrap up this initial story before we get into some other things. It says, at the end of the time set by the king to bring him into his service, because remember the whole thing where Daniel said, hey, Tess, let's see if I can just eat the vegetables and we'll be good. So at the end of all of that, not just the 10 days, but I guess the, the preparation period, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And so I want to say, our God is 10 times better. Our God, forget about 10 times, a million times better. Let me, let me just say this. You know, sometimes it seems to us, I've talked to some of you guys and parents and all, it seems like, like the culture right now is so big and so strong and so overwhelming. And we think, who can, who can stand? Like, it's just too much. It's just too hard to be a Christian. It's just too hard to be out of step. It's too hard to live in exile. But let me tell you this. The culture, the, the, the Babylon Express through the United States in 2021, let me tell you, there's one of two possibilities for the United States. Right? Number one is that the United States will still be in existence when Jesus comes back. Right? That could happen. Jesus could come back in a few years. And, and actually, Daniel, towards the end of the books, talks a lot about the end times. So we're going to have an opportunity to get into like, some of the things the Bible says about the end times in the series as we study the book of Bible. But that could be one thing, is, is that uh, you know, maybe the United States will be around when Jesus comes back. Or, or the second option is that maybe, you know what, Jesus won't come back for another thousand years. And if that happens, what, what will happen to the United States and the culture and everything else represented is the same thing that's happened to every other civilization throughout human history. It'll be put on the ash heap of human history. It will join the Roman civilization. It will, it will join the, the, you know, the, the Genghis Khan civilization. It'll join the Soviet Union. It'll join the, the United Kingdom when, they, you know, when it said the sun didn't set on the United Kingdom. It's not going to endure. It's not going to last, but here's the thing. Jesus Christ and his kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And so we need to remember in exile that our God is the mighty God. Our God is the one who sets everything. Our God is the stronghold. He's the high tower that we can run to. And so we've got to ask ourselves some questions. As culture is shifting, as things are changing, are we going to let that delay? Are we going to let the world change us? Or are we going to change the world? When culture shifts, will I shift? Am I going to mirror the culture? Or am I going to set the culture? In other words, am I going to be a thermometer that just reflects what's around me? Or am I going to be a thermostat that's going to change the temperature around me? And like I said a couple of weeks ago, listen, we don't engage in culture wars. We, we hear, like, we don't play that game. And that, listen, that is not what, what Daniel and his friends did. 
They did not say, let's form a rival political party. Let's do this. Let's get that one. No, no, no. They said, we're, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to stay faithful to God. We're not going to be compromised by Babylon. We're gonna, we're gonna, but we're going to then lovingly serve those around us. And what we're going to see is God used them in incredible ways. See, what we're going to do is we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be shaken. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, as we learn what it means to live in exile, Let's trust God. We don't shame people. We don't go to war with anyone but the devil. What we do is we live out the purposes that God has for us. We let him name us. And the promise is if we live out, from, if we live out of his identity and we let him name us, that he's going to be with us and he's going to use us and we're going to bear fruit that's going to be tenfold. And so let's all stand together and let's pray. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name right now that you would come into this room. And, Lord, you know, God, all the, all the false identities that we have, all the lies that we have believed. And, God, I pray that you would speak to us right now, that it would just be a moment, God, where you would reveal to us just afresh who we are in you, God, how much you love us, how you're for us. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here right now who's feeling weighed down, who's feeling discouraged, who's feeling confused, Lord, I pray that those, Lord, those right now as we wait upon you, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. I just, you know what, I have this sense right now that there might be one or two people here right now where there was a time where you, where you walked with Jesus and Jesus gave you life, gave you abundant life. And, and listen, you know, like once you know, like once you experience the life Jesus gives you, like you can't forget it. But maybe in all the pressure and all the stuff going on that just you started to let culture define you more than you let Jesus define you and there's been a drift. And I just sense that for some of you right now, this is a moment where you just need to, in your heart, you need to say, Jesus, I need you. I think there's someone here, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, kind of specifically, there's someone here, you left Jesus for a guy. And that, that's not a good trade. <laughs> and the guy broke your heart. But Jesus is saying, I will never break your heart. I love you and I'm for you. Come back to me. We'll, we'll, I'll be with you for this next leg of the journey. The, the, you know what? Whatever, whatever you've done, it's like I can make good come out of every, each and every circumstance. Cause all things to work together for good. So I think there's someone here that God is just really calling you back to him. Like you knew, you knew his name for you. And he wants to remind you of that. I think there's, you know what, I think there's people here that maybe what you need to do this morning is you need to open up your heart to Jesus and you need to invite him in. See, the thing is, you're not born a Christian. You're not born part of the kingdom of God. Jesus paid the price, but you make a decision to enter 
And the way that you do that is just by opening up your heart to him. And I can lead you in a prayer that where the words aren't important, it's more, it's more important is what's going on in your heart. Jesus said he's at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if you open the door, he's going to come in. And so if you're ready to open the door to let Jesus in, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And I believe that you died on the cross in my place. And that you rose from the dead and that you're here right now. And I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. I surrender to you. And from here on out, I'm going to follow you, even if it's hard. Because you're my Lord. Just keep your eyes closed, but do me a favor. If you, if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer here this morning. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. On your connection card, you can check off on the back that you decided to follow Jesus, or you can text follow to 201-584-7188, and we'll send you some stuff in the mail that I think could really help you figure out how to continue taking steps to get closer to Jesus. Um, we're going to have the people from the prayer ministry team come on up. All right, so why don't you guys come on up right now? Uh, and, and so the, the prayer ministry team got together before the service and asked God, what specific things do you want to do in people's lives? How do you want to minister? They got a bunch of things that have to do with healing, a lot to do with healing. They had, a, a, they had a, a, an impression that someone is having pressure in their right ear and that that's been kind of really bothersome and that God wants to heal you. Someone else who's experiencing kind of like cloudiness of thoughts, you're just like you haven't been having the same kind of clarity and focus that God wants to heal you. Someone who has a cough that's not getting any better. You've had it for a while and it's just not going away. Uh, chest pain that comes and goes affecting your breathing. Yes, thank you. Yeah, the baskets. You guys are good. I forgot. Um, a young, a sense of, of uh, someone who, a young woman who's really feeling hungry for God, but feeling disconnected and, and is really wanting to get connected, to have, have people kind of help her and encourage her that God sees you, want to pray for you. Um, a, along with that, a young man who's really wanting to serve the Lord, not sure where he fits, what God is saying. And then finally, uh, a lonely, a woman who came here today feeling really lonely, feeling like nobody cares, nobody sees you. And that's just like a heaviness that's on you, but God sees you and he loves you and he's with you. And so if any of that resonates, you know, these, these nice folks who are up here, they'd love to have an opportunity to pray for you along with anything that we talked about, pressure of living in exile, pressure of, of you know, fear or whatever it is, or just wanting, wanting God to reveal your name to you so you can walk in it. We just, just would love to just have a little bit of time to pray for you. We're going to be starting the, the growth track, step one of the growth track in 10 minutes at 1230 in the Team Vineyard Room. So God, I just thank you for everyone here. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you give us the grace this week to, Lord, to walk out the names that you've given us, to live out your identity, God, the identity that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week.